What's up, everybody? Welcome to another Stand and Fight podcast. I'm your host, the Tattooed Life Coach. I want to thank my sponsors, Eastman Fitness and Wellness. You can check them out at EastmanFitnessUtah.com. You can also find me at Tattooed Life Coach and the number eight on Instagram. All right, so I just did a podcast the other day with one of my students that I didn't know was in this realm, and it made me so happy, so I figured I'd get him back on. So I've been here with Smith Alley. How are you, brother? I'm great. How are you? I'm so good, man. I'm so excited to to get your side of it. And, uh, you know, when you when you reached out originally, I was like, what? And I did, just didn't even know. And that's I guess that's part of the beauty is people we just don't know. You know, you look at people and you think everything's happy and healthy and, and we put on that fake smile. So I, I'm excited to hear your story, bro. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to get it out there. And I think I, I think there's a lot of like, I don't know, I'm sure that you walk into a school and you kind of can see the, the sides or the kids who you think are good and the kids who struggle more. But I mean, nowadays it's just everybody, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you can see the ones that wear it on their sleeve and you know are clearly in need of some some love and and then it's the ones that are perky and happy and and bouncing around that that carry some of the biggest burdens yeah so excited to get into that so like i said real and raw and 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 let's hear it because i know i have a lot of youth listeners and a lot of parents of youth listeners uh listening so this is a guys this is a huge story of some coming from kids that are not usually willing to talk about this stuff and and not not just that but out on the streets making a difference yeah like that's what i love i can't wait to to hear that part well um first of all just like a little bit about myself my name's smith alley um i'm 17 years old a junior in high school and i'm from bountiful utah um and lately i've been able to start a company and i'm working on starting a nonprofit, and that's all been really great but um, <laughs> what I tell people all the time it, is that it wasn't always like that. And, um, I love my family now and we have a great relationship, but it wasn't always like that. Um, I was raised with three sisters. Um, and then my mom and my dad are wonderful people, very supportive. Um, I was raised in the, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so, you know, was a Christian boy, went to church every Sunday, um, but I think my pain all started in first grade. And as a little kid, I had a stutter and I just couldn't get my words out. And I'd blink and I'd just press my eyes together and I tried to get my words out and I couldn't do it. And I didn't know that was abnormal until when I got into school. And then the yeah. kids were like, oh, you can't speak, you know? And yeah. um, I remember that there was this one girl who would just make fun of me nonstop, um, kindergarten, first, second, third grade. And, um, to get away from it, I started making fun of myself and, um, I started to believe what everybody was telling me and, um, that I was flawed and that, you know, I was imperfect and, um, just getting made fun of. And, um, it didn't stop it didn't stop happening until we saw development in speech therapy. And, um, but then the kids didn't have to bully me, right? Because I was bullying myself. Yeah. Um, they had kind of gotten me into that habit where, um, I was just down on myself. Um, I was a bigger kid. Um, I've weighed, 
So in sixth grade, I weighed 170 pounds. Um, wow, I and, didn't know that. Yeah, and um, now I'm 17, so five years later, and I've put on 25 or something, and um, I'm now like nine inches taller. And um, but I was always very hard on myself, and then at nine years old, I was exposed to pornography, and for me. It wasn't anything big right away. Like, I didn't see pornography, then the next day went back to it. But I remembered how I felt. And I remembered the endorphin release that it gave me. And I remembered that kind of chemical rush and feeling good. And, um, which is a feeling that I hadn't really felt. Even though, like, as a little kid, I was a super happy kid. Um, my parents used to always say that when I was a baby, they'd walk into a room where I was by myself and I'd just be smiling at a wall. <laughs> and, and I got happiness from nothing and it was still that way even though I hated myself and um so I got to this point where you know 10 10 and a half I was just going through some really hard emotions because being a kid is really hard and I don't think we give kids that like uh having to sit with peers and having that peer judgment and then also having a family life and being a kid is hard and we don't give kids enough credit for that and then I start using pornography more because honestly I felt like it was the only love that I was worthy of um, and even though I was incorrect I thought that it was the only love that would love me back um, because I didn't feel like I was worthy of my family's love and so my my arm was kind of always stretched you know keeping my family away um, and then I got into middle school and, um, you know, it just got worse and worse and had to deal with more emotions and more emotions. And because kids don't want to deal with emotions today, we use so many other things to deal with them. Um, and mine was pornography. So anytime I was bored, lonely, stressed, depressed, um, tired, it would be pornography. Uh, and then it got to a point where not only that, but I was numbing myself. I was getting out of this world any way possible. So I'd wake up, you know, spend 30 minutes on social media before I had to get go to school. Then I'd go to school, but sit on my phone the whole time. Um, then I'd come home, watch pornography, play three hours of video games, watch pornography, have dinner with my family, leave the table early, watch pornography, and go to bed. Wow. And... It really sucked, and like at 13, I was just done. And um, every day, like if I could get to the next day, I did something good, and I was like, all right, you know, we're making progress because I got to the next day. And I remember just being done. And I wanted to change, but I couldn't. And I, you know, my heart wanted to change, but my body couldn't. Yeah. Um, and... I'm going to share something that I usually don't share with a lot of my followers just because it's been so personal. But um, at 14, uh, you know, pornography got me curious and uh, I did some things, uh, you know, met a girl, did some things. And because of that, I was kind of in it just for the fake love. Right. Mm -hmm. And she wanted connection. She wanted real connection. And so. Um, after I did those things because of my religion, um, you know, I'd done something wrong because 
I'm supposed to be pure until marriage. And, um, you know, I really felt guilt for that first time. And that feeling like shocked me because I didn't know what to do. Cause I hadn't, I had just been feeling nothing for four or five years. And so, um, I told this girl that we couldn't talk anymore and that we couldn't be friends. And because this kind of emotionally hurt her, um, she decided to come back and to falsely accuse me of, uh, sexual aggravated assault, a felony. And, um, so from the time I was 14, uh, and a half until about a year and a half after that, um, just before I turned 16, I fought in a court, um, and I just remember sitting there with my parents next to me and, uh, my lawyer to the left of me and remembering that this all came because I didn't feel worthy of love, of real love, and because I decided to get it from pornography. And I couldn't have any other kid feeling like that. I couldn't have any other kid going through the same thing that I that I went through and that I had to change that. And so... Um, I need to talk about that a little bit. Like okay. Even... So... I know what it feels like to be an addict of just about anything that took that numbed me out but then you add in the court stuff and and a lot of people especially not at that that young but to draw your family into it to draw the public eye into it to draw bountiful utah into it that's got to be pretty heavy yeah so that amount of shame and those things that you're feeling at that point like what was it that got you through that were you still in your addiction at that time no, I remember, um, I, so the day that the police contacted my parents, my parents picked me up from school and they, you know, started talking to me and I knew at that point, like, okay, it's out in the light. This is something I'm done with. And this literally destroyed my life. And now I'm going to have to do all this stuff and it's going to be dragged out. And I'm not going to let that thing overcome me anymore. So, um, you know, I was going through that, but I was constantly scared because I was kind of that perky, happy kid who, you know, I didn't wear my struggles on my sleeve. I covered them up deep in my body. Um, I was constantly scared that people would find out and that people would find out that I used to watch pornography and people would find out that, you know, now I'm fighting in a court for a felony and, um, I was constantly scared. Yeah, I know that feeling. So, you know, we I talk about wearing masks. And no matter what I convinced anybody of, I was always worried that... Because I knew, looking back in the mirror, that I was a fraud. Like, what if people find out? And that just put me deeper. I got really good at manipulation and really good at hiding, hiding my emotions and, and what I really wanted. Because I think that little kid in me, even at you know, 16, 17, 18, when I was in pretty deep into my drinking and, and drugs and the, the little kid in me was like, what are you doing? You know? So I totally get that. It's a tough place. Yeah. I think that like the six year old in me almost was ashamed of me, you know, disappointed because I was kind of raised. I've always been a bright kid in school and, um, always done well scholarly and um 
I've always played sports and things like that. And I think that that kid in me was just disappointed. And I always thought, like, this isn't who you were supposed to be. And you were supposed to be more, and now you're a disappointment. You're a failure, you know? And um, I remember, so the night that this all came out, um, my mom approached me that night after we had, you know, talked and yelled and everything like that. And she just grabbed my face and she said, Smith, I'll fight for you, but you have to fight for yourself first. And that was the that was the point where I was like, all right, not only am I going to get through this small thing, which I see, you know, going through court for a year and a half at 14 years old as a small thing now, um, because that's less important, but I'm going to get through the big thing. Um, I'm going to overcome what's trying to overcome me. And um, I decided not to let, I decided to destroy what's, what's destroying me. And so I just started taking steps towards that. And I knew that as long as, as I was faced the right way um, and I was taking steps forward, that um, it would all work out. So first I went and talked to my religious leaders and, you know, in the Christian church, we confess our sins to um, usually a bishop. And so I went and talked to him and joined a group called Sons of Helaman, which is a program for boys in the church struggling with pornography addiction. Um, I went is into it, th- Is it boys only? Or um, is there girls as well, a, a girl's side? Yeah, so Sons of Helaman is for boys. Um, they do have a daughter of Zli- Daughters of Light program that's for girls. Um, and then once you're 26, I think, you go into Men of Moroni, which is for um, older guys. So they have all those sides of it. Um, and that really helped me, and I just started taking steps forward. And I realized that my problem was I believed that the love that I could get from my phone was going to be enough. And the love that I could get from a screen was going to be enough. And when I was able to realize that that's not true and that I had to get love from my family and my friends and God, but most importantly, myself. And I had to be able to love myself and be confident in who I am, um, which at that point I couldn't. Then I was like, all right, let's take those steps to be the person that I want to be. Because when I realized that I was kind of at rock bottom, um, sitting in a courtroom at 14, when I realized that, you know, I'd kind of hit Hit pretty deep down there. It's a tough place to be yeah. at 14. Yeah. Um, I realized that I'd kind of, before I'd built this, what looked like a skyscraper with my life, but it was just built out of straw. And then I realized that I get to rebuild that. We tore it down to the foundation. And now I'm trying to build just a modest house out of concrete. Yeah. Um, and that's when I realized like I get to be the person who I want to be now and I don't have to live a fake life and I don't have to wear masks anymore. Um, and I can be myself around people. I think that's, I think any family that has a kid and I'm sure you guys have as a family being as open as you are, have encountered other families and my dad, you know, he was a state senator. He was a school board president. I'm out there just wrecking every law he ever set, right? Mm-hmm. So when I came out as an addict, 
it's like it freed the people around us and to come out of the woodworks and 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 seek help and and seeing the shame that families keep trying to keep family secrets of things that that are just life happenings it's like through these failures it 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 allows our families to live a little bit mm-hmm. to not live in fear for them as well i think and and has that experience been similar with you guys yeah i mean um just the open conversations that probably would never have happened if you were trying to play it play it close to the hip you know yeah for sure we um i mean we're very open and my parents are very open and um i mean we've talked to so many people about their family problems and that they're going through the same thing and I talk to a lot of kids and they're like, well, I don't even want my brother to know, right? I don't even want my brother to know that I'm struggling with this. And I'm like, okay, I get that because I felt that same way. But soon enough, you're going to realize that your older brother is definitely struggling with this too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you're going to realize that you're stronger when you're vulnerable and when you're open. And it's going to take some time, but you're going to bless a lot of lives. Um I had an experience just last weekend that was kind of like this. One of my old friends um, showed up on my porch after just contemplating um, taking her life. And, you know, she had been writing goodbye letters. And I was talking to her. And she just said, I don't know why I, sh- I should live. I I have no reason to. And I told her that somewhere in a year when she's in a better place and I told her she will be because I can see the light in her that there's going to be a a 16 year old girl who doesn't know why she's living and you're going to be the one who finds her and you have a purpose on this earth because there's people out there waiting for you and it's this whole thing about um you know I did the share your struggles weekend we have to be able to be vulnerable um because when we aren't when we kind of just again the family secret the mom who thinks she can't talk to her other mom friends because she doesn't want them knowing that her son has a problem with pornography yeah um that's what kills people and that's what puts more it puts more distance in between a family because there's that secret and it's this quote that i always talk about it's addiction is grown in solitude and destroyed in community and it's not until we can all say that yeah we're we're flawed and yeah we're imperfect but that's why we're good we're good people and we're people is because we struggle with things that we can actually start to work towards something because right now and personally when you know I was a kid I didn't want to talk to anybody about pornography because I thought that it was this wicked thing that only I was doing and you know or maybe even at school like inside I felt like I belonged more with the kids who wore on their sleeve right and I said yeah I'm, I'm one of those kids inside but on the outside I'm putting out this mask that I'm this good kid you know a student body president in sixth grade and ninth grade and uh, all of these things but I really think that we have to learn to not only wear our struggles on our sleeve, 
but kind of put it on a t-shirt, you know? And that's what I've tried to do because that's when we begin to help people is when we're vulnerable enough um, to put ourselves out there. Yeah, I like that. I think there's so much change in our community needs to get on board with it is is back when I was growing up in the 80s, like the neighbors knew everything. The neighbors would spank you if you were bad. They would send your butt home. They're like if your dad asked you what happened, he just said, I did this. And he'd be like, good, you deserved it. Now it's like family secrets, family secrets. You don't even know your neighbor's real stories next to you in the house next to that one. When we have the answers, your next door neighbor may be your answer. And, and our fails are ultimately the guideline on how to live. You know, we, we know for a fact, like I was never really a big faith person. I couldn't just believe that this was going to happen if I didn't have some kind of a sign. So, you know, people see, we've got a saying that religion is a belief in someone else's experience and spirituality is a belief in your own and, and becoming spiritual that way in the sense that, man, I, I made a lot of mistakes and 100% of what I do now, and I've got a pretty good life is designed around my fails. Mm-hmm. So especially youth where you fear failure, you should, you should accept it. Like you don't want to go drive your car off of a cliff to see if your car flies. It's not the kind of failure I'm talking about, but educated fails and, and trying things and maybe not being the greatest at it, but, but finding out whether you are or not, that's such an important piece. So that vulnerability, talk about, talk a little bit more about that. Especially for guys, right? Yeah. To cry, to be vulnerable, to talk about feelings, that's just not, that wasn't in our DNA. Yeah, I think that um, one of the worst things that we've done is we've created a society that without even saying it, uh, we're told that we have to be perfect. And without even saying it, we're told that, um, you know, we can't struggle. And as men, I think we're told that we can't cry and that, you know, the American man is tough and faces his fears and doesn't cry and, you know, keeps it all on the inside. And um, I think, especially in my family, my dad's an army vet. And um, I've only seen my dad, well, before all this happened, I'd only seen my dad when I was 14 years old cry once in my life. And it just wasn't normal for us. And my dad always said, you know, you can cry if you're, um, if a bone's broken or, uh, if there's blood or you're bruised and, um, it'd be the same thing. Like they'd go out on date nights and he'd say, only call us if, you know, a bone's broken, someone's bleeding or there's a bruise. <laughs> um, and, um, there isn't that acceptance of like, yeah, you can be broken and that's normal. And I think it's because we kind of force it on ourselves too. You know, um, it's something that our mind tells us. And when once we realize that, like, we can come out about something and that we can be vulnerable and people start to accept us, it's all just a mind trick that we're playing on ourselves. Yeah. Because now that I've been outspoken about um, my problem and my struggles, there's not a single person who is, well, I guess that's not true. I get some grief at high school for doing everything that I do, but... Um, there's really almost nobody that has not accepted me, not given me love, um, because they see what I'm doing is good because I'm being vulnerable. Yeah. 
Do you remember the 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 first question I asked the class when I came and spoke? I know. So I always ask people, how many of you either personally or know somebody who deals with anxiety, depression, addiction, and 99% of the time, every hand goes up. And you know, the, the it's funny because a lot of the kids will look around to make sure other people are raising their hand first and then they'll raise it. Mm-hmm. Or the kid that you know is struggling the most, he'll be the crocodile arm. And so, and I have them look around. So all the hands are up. Everybody's looking around. And I say, how many of you feel comfortable talking about those things? Every hand goes down. And it's like the one thing that we all share as humans is struggle, but it's the one thing we don't want to talk about in fear of being judged. Right. And, and that awkwardness, the ego gets in the way and we don't want to be vulnerable because somebody might make fun of us. And I feel like that's just developed. That's a skill, if you will, that's developed on the playgrounds in elementary school. You don't want to be the last kid picked. You don't want to be made fun of in front of little Jilly, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's the men like you, hopefully men like me going out and, and trudging a new, a new way of life is, is super important. So I commend you for. It's tough. I know it's high school's tough enough, let yeah. alone coming out and being real about some stuff. Mm-hmm. So, awesome work. So, what else? Um. Well, I want to get to like what my life was like after, because I think I, you know I've told about you know it was tough to be a kid and to be picked on, and um, then get into pornography and just feel worthless, and um, you know to go through some legal stuff and um. Then I realized, like, it doesn't have to be like this. I realized that I was able to rebuild my life how I wanted to be. And I started to do all this stuff, talk to religious leaders, join that group, um, find real love and real connection. And every day my life just got a little bit better. And it's been exponential since then. And so, uh, you know, every day is two times better than the day before. And so I'm like a million times better than that first day. Yeah. And it's just because I put one foot in front of the the other. And it's just because um, I slowly pick myself up and, you know, one foot in front of the other, keep on marching in that day. And then at the end of the day, I've seen that I've gone 50 miles, right? And before I was just walking backwards. Um and so then I was able to, you know, start to better myself. And once I felt like I was in a good place, I was ready to help other people. And um, I remember the first person that I talked to about this outside of my family. Um, I was at a summer camp and I decided before I went that I wanted to share my struggles with all the boys that I was dorming with. And um, so that first night, you know, we were all hanging out in the dorm and I just I just started talking to them about it. I started talking to them about what I'd gone through. And one of them, his name's Landon. He's, you know, one of my good friends now. He was like, yeah, I, you know, I've been struggling with this too. And um, he was just so broken in the exact same ways that I was. And so that night he actually asked me to spend you know, a few hours restricting his phone because he had just found out all the ways to get around his parents' restrictions like all kids do. <laughs> um, I always say that kids are tech ninjas. Yeah. And no matter, especially with this generation where um, my parents weren't raised with technology but are raising kids with technology, there's no way that they can ever know 
um, or ever be as efficient in restrictions as I can be around getting around them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and listen up parents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I, you know, I went to London and helped him and then I just started spending a lot of time with him. Even after the summer camp, he lives about, you know, an hour and a half away from me. And I was able to watch him go from that kid who was just keeping his struggles deep down. Right. And then he just built himself up like I had done for the past year. And I was able to watch his life get better. And I was able to watch him be more happy. And I was able to watch him actually do the things in life that he wanted to do. And, you know, where before I had bettered myself and filled my own hole, it was like filling my hole again, like 40 times. And I loved it. And I really couldn't get enough. And I was like, this feeling, this feeling is what I want to feel for the rest of my life. And so um, then I went to my lacrosse team. Um, I was a freshman playing for, was cross lacrosse. Um, and I was actually, I started varsity um, as a freshman. And I truly believe, you know, just a tangent here that I truly believe that when I started putting one foot in front of the other and working towards being a better person, I bettered myself in every way. So not only did I feel bettered spiritually, not only did I feel bettered mentally, um, but I felt better, you know, physically. And like I told you, I, in sixth grade, I weighed 170 pounds and I was five foot four. And now I'm, (laughs) you know, six, two and 200 pounds. And, um, so ninth grade I'm playing lacrosse and I went to my lacrosse team and I'm like, just super open. Do you guys struggle with pornography? Cause I do. Do you guys ever feel worthless? Because I do. And then they were like, some of them were like, yeah, you know, opening up for the first time. And you could see that they were nervous and you could see that they were scared to do that. Yeah. And um, I got a few of them to agree to the next day come to the program that I'd been going to, Sons of Helaman. And now four of them have graduated from that program. And again, it's just like as they fill their hole, it, it fills mine. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that because, you know, my ego, I like, I want to be the coach. I want to be in charge. And then when you're in charge, you find you learn so much more than you ever did as a student. It's like, this is way better. Yeah. (laughs) I like that. So to be able to do that at your age, to see it, to feel it. And the the one thing that maybe you understand it or maybe you don't is that some people will spend their entire life searching for what you found at 17. Yeah. Like most people don't get to do what they love. Most people hate what they do. So to be able to find that and then turn it around and, and be gung ho enough to go and start business and, and helping people and all those things. That's, that's a, that's pretty rad. Yeah. You know, you're super lucky. And I feel that same people are always like, how come you're always skydiving? How come you're always rock climbing? What do you, you're on a horseback riding. Like that's my job. Yeah. <laughs> I get to do that for work. So it's a pretty amazing thing. So where, where are you at now with everything? Um, so earlier this year in July, I started a company called Protect Strong. And um, I go into families' homes and I talk to kids about the harmful effects of social media and pornography. And I really try and advocate for them because a lot of the time, um, I think in homes, it's like parents tend to be very authoritative and it doesn't work out because they're, you know, kind of fighting the battles in the wrong areas. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so I kind of help that dynamic and then also help parents set up technology restrictions because again um, you know a parent is never gonna be able to do as much technology restrictions as I am because I was the tech ninja yeah um, my parents were even before all of this came out they were pretty outspoken about pornography and um, so they had restrictions and they had filters and I got around all of them and um, now I kind of use all that knowledge that I learned to do the, you know, combat other help families out. Yeah. That's awesome. And so I started that in July and, um, now I am just working yesterday. Actually, uh, we started filing for nonprofit. Um, and so, you know, I've been doing a little bit of speaking and I'm trying to be able to do that more, get into more schools. Um, you know, just get in front of people to be able to have them hear my message. I think that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that go and speak and, um, there's, I mean, maybe not a lot, but there are people that go out there and speak about pornography and about all that stuff. But the thing that we're missing, especially in schools is I remember being, you know, in seventh grade and struggling with pornography and we have the white ribbon week the you know the tech security week and there's here's some 35 year old mom who's talking to me about pornography (laughs) and all i see in her is my mom talking to me about pornography and it doesn't work yeah um and so i try and you know i'm 17 bring that peer perspective um that hey i know where you're at um i was there just recently uh let me help you. And, um, you know, I, I'm relevant in the way that I know exactly what you're going through where parents are like, for example, my mom last night had to, was explaining something on Instagram to my dad and it was like the comment boxes. And then you can respond to the comment boxes. I'm like, (laughs) we were doing that on Snapchat four years ago. Um, and my dad's just learning about it. And, um, so yeah, now I'm starting this nonprofit and um just trying to help as many people as I can. I love it. What are you gonna name it? Um I'm naming it the Live Life Bigger Foundation. Um I talk a lot about like no matter say you're not struggling with pornography or depression and anxiety or social media or anything like that, you know, screen addiction, which is diagnosable now. Um say you're perfect with uh, with technology first of all you'd be a unicorn um, because people like that don't exist yeah um, and so I always tell kids like if that's you please turn yourself in so we can study you and figure out how to make more perfect <laughs> humans but um, it doesn't matter because the less time that you spend wasting time on a screen um, or getting fake love from a screen fake entertainment is less time the less time that you can do that is more time you get to live life bigger. Yeah. And I've been able just in the past, um, around three years, I've been able to do so many more things that I never thought I would have done. And, you know, I haven't gone skydiving or (laughs) anything like that, but when you turn 18, we'll go. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but like being able to, I bought my first car at 15 and it was a 1962 Ford Thunderbird. And I restored it, um, you know, bought it not running. Um, I bought a motorcycle at 16. 
and fixed that up and sold it and then bought another motorcycle and went on a 900 mile trip with my dad. Um, so awesome. Learned how to surf and, you know, because I wasn't staying home and pitying myself, um, I was more willing to go out and try anything. And, um, so yeah, I've been able, you know, just being able to put myself out there and live life bigger. That's what I'm trying to get every kid to do because, you know, there's, there's a 1% who doesn't struggle yet. Um, yeah, life will, yeah, life's a ninja too. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Life will find a way to catch you. And so there is that 1%, but you know, even they can live life bigger. Even. Yeah, I think the kids that even do well, they put so much stress on themselves for grades and being perfect that they have those struggles too. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think they just don't understand. They they identify it differently. So our vocabulary is different. Some people identify anxiety as excitement, and just by that simple switch, you can start to see things in a different light and not let it overwhelm you, but look forward to doing these things and getting better. Right. So nonprofits, business. We were just talking. He said, "When trying to run a business and do school at the same time gets hard." Yeah, and and the second part was the best. Was man, I'm getting behind on school. Yeah, <laughs> that's an entrepreneur right there. Yeah, I find like like the important stuff comes first. Mm-hmm. School second. Yeah, <laughs> I find like myself up at two in the morning, like working on projects or bright um, ideas. Bling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like my doodles. Uh-huh. I can never ever sleep. Like. Just always ideas flowing through my mind, and then I get to school, and I'm like, um, I can't even force my mind to do anything here, um, which is crazy because uh, for so long I was just I've always been kind of that straight A student, and now I found my passion, and I just don't care anymore. And my parents they hate that, <laughs> and you know I'm trying to still kind of keep up, but um, yeah, it's it's a lot to work with, but um, I've never had more enjoyment and more um, satisfaction from being behind in school because I love what I'm doing instead. With that being said, I'm sure there's a bunch of kids out there like, I don't want to do school. I'm going to be a pro gamer sitting on their, on their PS all day. Yeah. What do you say to them? It's a little different. Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, if, you think you're going to be a pro gamer. I hope that you're planning on living in your parents' basement and <laughs> making no money um, because a very few gamers can even afford to live out, you know, on their own. Um, second of all, if you're going to be a pro gamer, I hope you're planning on spending 16 hours a day playing video games and streaming. Um, and third of all, I hope you find someone who's willing to you know, marry you or be with you while you're doing that because yeah. that's going to be hard. Yeah, I talk to a lot of kids. They're like, I'm like, do you have friends? They're like, yeah, I got a lot of friends like that actually come over or that you play video games with. Video games, like in your headset or, oh, yeah, I got friends all around the world. And I'm like, dude, the connection, the actual physical connection, mm-hmm. the standing, having conversation like we are right now, being present in the moment being self-aware is a is a is becoming a unicorn yeah yeah <laughs> it's becoming a lost a lost cause so man it really means a lot that you're doing these things because guys like you were setting the bar for my daughter who's who's 11 who's about to get into junior high who's a you know she she needs young men young women being 
little kids coming up that you get to be that that hero too that you're when you're speaking in their class and and super important i really appreciate appreciate what you're doing how do people find you yeah um so my instagram tags at protect strong protect spelled a little differently it's p-r-o-t-e-c-h-t so it's got tech in it and then strong um and then my website is www.protectstrong.com um or org as well and then um yeah that's the way to find me there's a lot of information on both those pages about you know if you want to schedule a consultation to get or just talk about getting me into a school or anything like that i appreciate <laughs> being able to get um anywhere that's possible and being able to you know help anybody that's awesome so if you had one thing to leave with my listeners what would it be um dream a big dream and live life bigger i think that a lot of the time we don't think we can change the world unless we're bill gates or elon musk um or the president of the united states but every single person can change the world and you know i never would have thought being that six-year-old kid that six-year-old kid inside me was disappointed in the 14-year-old but beaming right now at the 17-year-old um, so I'd say, you know, set the expectations high and, uh, work towards that shoot for the stars. But then I'd also say like, be realistic and it's okay to fail and it's okay to struggle, but don't run away from those. I love what you, what you said, um, on my podcast about, uh, not running away from your fears. You run towards the fears, yeah. um, and being able to use those and just like, Put them into your foundation and build yourself up with that. Um, I think that's one of the best things we can do, right? So dream a big dream, live life bigger, um, shoot for the stars, but be real with yourself. Awesome. So I asked this question at the end of all of my podcasts. The podcast is called Stand and Fight, and I named it after my tattoo. My tattoo says, it's better to stand and fight. If you run, you will only die tired. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? I think it means that for so long, I was a scared little kid um, trying to run away from the shame of my parents finding out about my my pornography struggles and um, trying to run away from my self-worth issues. And um, now I stand and fight. And I always tell people I haven't overcome pornography. I'm still overcoming it because every day it's still a struggle and every day I have to fight. Um, but I love getting up every day and standing and fighting. And because I believe in a God, I always, I also believe in a devil and I love standing and fighting every day against the devil. And I always say that my goal is to, when I get out of bed, I want the devil to be able to hear it and to be scared because I'm standing and fighting today and I'm, I'm running towards him, trying to, trying to fight him as, as best as I can. I love it. I love it. Right on, man. Well, I really appreciate the time you've taken to come out and, and share your story with me. Yeah. You can find me at tattooedlifecoach.com. Again, on Instagram at tattooedlifecoach, the number eight, or Rob Eastman on Facebook. Thanks again. Thank you, Smith. Of course. You guys, make sure you check him out. I'll put all the links up on the podcast. Love you guys. Have a great day.